Welcome to I'm So Obsessed, where we get the inside take from actors, artists, and creators on their work, their career, and the things they obsess about. I'm your host, Connie Guillermo. When I told people I was interviewing rock singer and guitarist Peter Frampton, they immediately started singing one of his hits, including the songs made famous from his best-selling 1976 album, Frampton Comes Alive. It's considered one of the best live albums ever. An easygoing Frampton, who's just published a memoir called Do You Feel Like I Do, spoke with me from his home in Nashville and told me what he's been doing living under COVID, as he calls it. That includes working on new projects and trading music files with other musicians to collaborate virtually. He's working on a project with the Doobie Brothers that includes their take on Eric Clapton's Let It Rain. And he contributed a guitar solo to a cover of Stand By Me that's being released on October 27th to celebrate the 60th anniversary of the day Benny King released the song in England. A quick note, because of COVID-19 and shelter in place, our conversation was recorded over the internet. So be prepared if the audio sounds a little bit quirky. Well, let me just start by asking you, um, where are you? Are you at your home in Nashville? Or are you in London? I don't know where you are. I'm, I'm in, um, right now, I'm in uh, Nashville. And this is now my home. I lived here in the 90s with my uh, family. And in fact, my youngest daughter was born here. Then we moved up to, to Ohio because of we lost granddad. And so we wanted to be close to grandma. So we lived there for quite a few years. And then things changed. I'm on my own. And, and so I decided that why am I stuck in Cincinnati when I could be in Music City? So where all my buddies are. So uh, I love Cincinnati. I, and I have a, a warm place in my heart for, for that place. It's, it, it was my home for many years. Um, but, but I have to say that it, there's so much that I can do in this town. You know, I have, have a studio. Every great musician either lives here or is through here at some point every year. Well, not right now, but... Uh, all right, well, this is going to, to tell you that I am not as up to speed on all of the music that you have written or produced, but a country fan? Country music fan? Uh, I, I like country music. Um, the old country music. Real country music. I'm not too fond of the uh, cookie cutter country right now. It just sounds like 80s pop to rock to me. So, uh, but they mention beer a lot. So, <laughs> wait. So, old country. How old are we talking about? Oh, the original. Back to um, not Junior. The the original. What's his name? Hank, Hank Williams. Williams. Oh, I yeah. see. Yeah, that, that kind of country. You know. So. Carter family, all of that stuff. Yes, I love all that. That's great. Okay, gotcha. Well, I'm just curious. I didn't know whether that's yeah. why you're there also to, to produce some country music. So how are you spending your time in whatever you're calling it? Self-isolation, quarantine, social distancing? I call it under COVID instead of undercover. I'm under, <laughs> under COVID. Okay. Uh, <laughs> so uh, um, basically... I've been very busy. I mean, it's us musicians have found various ways of sending music files to each other. I'm working on a project with the Doobie Brothers right now. Uh, I spoke to them and, and Tommy uh, just said that 
you know, what did I think about Let It Rain by Eric Clapton for one of the songs, because there's lots of guitar on the end and everything. So I said, well, that's great. I, I'm, I'm up for that. So I don't know who went first. I think Tommy went first and uh, put down just a guide acoustic and some, just a click or whatever. And then it's got passed around every one of the doobies <laughs> from we bought, and me, and we've all added our piece. Um, uh, so Pat sings one verse, I sing one verse, and Tommy sings a verse, and then we all play guitar. So that's fun. And then, but I keep busy, and it keeps me playing guitar every day. So yeah, I'm. Uh, lots of different people are sending files around, and I think that's the way we're combating not being able to play out. At least we've got we, we've got our friends that we can uh, zoom with and. <laughs> and there's all these special um, apps now. Session Wire is one where you can actually record with each other over the and, and see it going. On. It's it's very we're in the baby stages, obviously, but it's working pretty well so far. So so that's an interesting um, question to ask you about. Just the kind of collaboration that this whole change in our life, right uh, up until. A few months ago, people have been talking about, for instance, telemedicine or working people working at home, and it's always been poo-pooed, right? You need to be in person, and you lose—I mean, you definitely lose something by not having people in the room talking to you. But there is a way around it, and I'm just curious: uh, does it open up ideas about working with people that perhaps you wouldn't be able to work with because of distance, or you couldn't be on the same continent or even in the same city at the same time? Absolutely. There's a, another project that, that I'm working on that's for England and uh, Bob Harris, known as Whispering Bob Harris, uh, has been on the BBC in England. He was the host of the old Grey Whistle Test and a DJ and everything else. He's been on the BBC for 50 years and he's a dear friend and he comes to Nashville all the time because he's a big country fan, has a country show in England on the BBC and his son Miles has got this thing together so cool. His 50th anniversary is this year with the BBC and his favorite song is uh, Stand By Me by Benny King. And so all of his friends, Miles is sending files. So we're all singing a line in the chorus and a line in the verse. And I think Paul Rogers is part of it from uh, Bad Company and Free and Molly Marriott daughter of Steve Marriott from Humble Pie. She's doing it, all friends of mine. And, um, and I played some guitar in the solo uh, and I just sent it to Bob. And it's being released on the 60th anniversary of the day that Benny King released Stand By Me in England, wow. which was later on this year. So I think it's in October. And so I can't wait to hear the whole thing with everybody on it. You know, it's kind of like we are the world, uh, but under COVID. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's, that's incredible. And it's fabulous to see that you're finding a way to make music and it's not compromised music in any way. One of the projects I was working on, the Doobies, um, I, I wanted to play a loud guitar solo and I can't do it. Uh, I'm in a condo. So... I decided that, you know, rather than, you know, get thrown out of here, uh, I'll go to my studio and I, I utilize my studio to do that with masks on, just me and my engineer. So yeah, it was, 
it was phenomenal. I mean, everything's going really well as far as I, the, the only thing I'm so thrilled that we have FaceTime, Zoom, all these communicating devices that in the film 2001 was one of the, oh, they're looking at each other while they're talking and he's in a spaceship. So, I mean, it was, <laughs> um, the, it was like, um, could it have come at a better time than COVID, you know? So, um, because what I'm leading up to is my daughter uh, and her husband, Jade and Sam live in Manhattan because uh, they're both in online magazines. So she gave birth at the peak of the virus in Manhattan, uh, August, April 6th. <laughs> and that was, that was a, a major thing. Obviously, we were all so nervous getting her into the hospital and out. But as soon as she came out, she turned on FaceTime. And I see that, I mean, before they even left the room, I saw pictures. But then I, I get three or four FaceTime calls a day and I can't wait to pick the phone up because it's like, there's my baby. And I haven't seen her. I haven't seen, she's now, uh, what, five months. And I haven't seen baby L. So is she going to be calling you Frampa? I read that someplace. That's of- true, yeah. <laughs> I came up with that and I should never have done that. <laughs> we'll see if she can say her Fs. I mean, uh, <laughs> I, I, called, I called my uh, grandfather instead of granddad. I, when I was very young, I couldn't say my G's R, so I called him Bandad. So even when my brother was born five years later, he wasn't even called granddad by then. It was just, this is Bandad. <laughs> That's great. Well, I think Frampra is pretty funny, actually. Yeah, I, 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 think I, I can live with that. The name of this podcast is I'm So Obsessed. What are you obsessed with, Peter Frampton? Well, I'm obsessed with playing guitar and everything that goes with it. It's pretty obvious. And, and I have a passion that is part of my, it helps my obsession. <laughs> they work together. <laughs> and passion comes and goes, but it reinvents itself. It's always there. It just might, you know, sink a little bit. And then something will happen, a piece of music will come on and, or I'll pick up a guitar and an idea will strike. And it's like I've instantly I'm back into being inspired and passionate about what I'm doing. You know, so it's it, I'm very lucky to have that passion. I, it, it, it's got me out of the doldrums many times. And it's helping you cope under COVID. It is definitely helping me to cope under COVID. So let me ask you, you sound like a little bit of a tech geek. I mean, most musicians are very comfortable around digital gear because obviously it's transformed the way that we've produced music, not just today, but for a very long time. But I read someplace that you sometimes will just even record some of the ideas that you have on your phone just to get them down. I mean, I used before the iPhone and uh, the, the voice recordings that you can do, I used to obviously use a cassette player. Before that, a reel-to-reel, and then mini-disc, all these different um, DAT players, whatever there was uh, along the way, building up to a proper digital recording and that sounded decent, you know? 
And so yeah, I've used just about every format to collect my song ideas, even if they're 10 second ideas or they're two minute ideas, you know, I'll put them down. I pretty much record everything. I put my iPhone on record as soon as I pick up a guitar because you never know. Because the worst thing is to play a bit and go, oh, I like that. Then you put your phone on and by the time you've done that, you go back. So <laughs> you have to put it on right away. And I, I store them in iTunes. I store all my ideas in iTunes. Wow. So what's your favorite piece of tech? Is it your phone or? It's a toss up between my phone and, and my laptop. I'm, I'm a big, you can do so much more on iOS, uh, the, the, you know, Mac OS rather than iOS on the, um, on the iPhone. You're limited on the iPhone compared to um, all my music programs. I use Nuendo or Pro Tools or Logic or whatever anybody else is using. Those are all on my laptop. And I do have a, a Mac mini in my music room at home here, which also has all those. And then my studio, we have reel to reel as well as all the digital stuff as well. What kind of tech would you love to see invented that you could take advantage of and use? Well, I don't believe I, it will ever happen, but I would, I have a, a favorite microphone that was made in the fifties that slays any other recording microphone. It's a, it's a Telefunken U47. There's another piece of gear that goes with it, which is a, a universal audio limiter. It's called an 1176 and it's a blue stripe, which is a, a specific era. And the combination of those two and a great mic pre, if I could get that inside my laptop, that would be great. The same quality. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Yeah. A, model, a, a modeled microphone and a model that, I mean, uh, Universal Audio come incredibly close with the, because they made all the original hardware for recording, uh, inventing the first recording console and stuff like that. And so, you know, they have got um, their Apollo equip recording equipment for studio and home. And um, in that, they have recreated all their hardware in software form. And it's so close, it's scary. Maybe there is a chance that they'll be able to model my mic. What's, what's missing? I mean, people say that sometimes there's just a little bit of coldness to tech, right? This was the whole argument about when we moved from vinyl to CDs that the CD recording dropped off the lower and upper ends and just, you know, kept the middle. And so people were, you know, music musicians were not uh, happy with the format that they no. chose. So what's missing, do you think, from that little bit of tech? I, I never thought I would say this, but we are getting so close to the, the software replicating the hardware. Um, but on the other hand, the thing about hardware is you can have a good one and a bad one, or a good one and a really good one, you know, because they differ, because it's all hardware. Whereas the software is exactly the same. Right. You know? So it's like with a guitar amp, a guitar, or, or any, any of the hardware we use in the studio, one might be better than the other, you know. Right most definitely you know so but that doesn't happen with 
with software. It's, it either works or it doesn't. But I, I think within the foreseeable future, I, I mean, it's so close now, you know, yeah. it's, I never thought I would say that. Well, that's interesting. Um, like I said, most musicians appreciate the technology, but they, there's still that element of chance or serendipity, and it could even just be, you know, some of the atmospherics that can influence or change something from great to superb, right? You just don't know yes. what that is. Well, I think that um, the level of quality that you record at to a lot of people, people always recorded, I'm going to get technical here, at 48K, 24-bit for multi-tracking for Pro Tools or New Endo or Cubase or whatever. But we record at 96K, which is twice the quality. And it's it's the closest thing to tape, you know, which is... I would still be using my my reel to reel if 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 it were more feasible. So uh, I got to just ask you: you must own a lot of music. Are you a vine? Do you have records? Or are you now how many songs in your iTunes? Oh my god. Um, <laughs> Thousands, yes. I mean, I've collected so much stuff over the years. And mainly, you know, um, not a lot of the very, very new stuff, but I'm still, I've got still so much to learn from Motown blues, old blues, old R&B, you know, um, that's what I grew up with. I grew up with Motown and R&B. The first, I, I got some new, broke down and got a, a couple of Sonos move, uh, wireless speakers just to have one downstairs and one up and it's so great because you can choose where you play it and everything and um, so it's it's like that's the first thing that I put on was um, Al Green <laughs> to that's test good. them out you know so hey I'm old you have been uh, giving some farewell tours and I know that the last one that you want to do or you hope to do at the Royal Albert Hall in London obviously we're under COVID, so that has been postponed, but that, is that still your plan? Hopefully, maybe next year to do this? Yes, I hope that I can do that. Because I, uh, the reason for the uh, farewell tour here is because uh, I unfortunately have this uh, autoimmune disease, IBM, and um, it, it affects <clears throat> your arms, and your legs. It's very precise in what it chooses, what muscles, which is very strange, but, but obviously it, uh, it affects my hands too. So it's starting to affect my playing. So the longer we wait, the less chance there is of me being able to, to get to Europe to do this, this uh, final tour there, which is, is destroying me. <laughs> you know, I, I really, re I mean, to have a date at the Albert Hall booked and have my calendar come up and say the day before, tomorrow you're playing the Albert Hall. And all the band and all the crew, we were all on the phone, oh, do you see we're supposed to be playing the Albert Hall? But you know, that's just us. There's so many acts and all the people, all the audiences around the world that are, are clamoring for some live music. We understand, we want to play, you know, but it's just very, very frustrating. Uh, to say the least. What about playing to an empty hall? Yeah, that, that I, you know, I've seen these um, drive-in shows. Right. But unfortunately, the people got out of their cars and went down the front 
and there was a big hoo-ha about that without masks. And I don't think I could do a, a, a drive-in concert. No, I meant just address, do it in the Royal Albert Hall so it's recorded without the audience. Yeah. So you're on that stage. It's the stage, right? It's the venue. Yeah. Part of the there magic. Would be, yeah. There would be, uh, the cost factor would come into that because you wouldn't be making any money. So it, it, it wouldn't pay for our expenses to get to England and play. That I don't want to make, I, I don't need to make any money. I just need to, you know, have enough to cover for us to get there and play the shows. You know? Well, you could release it and stream. Listen to me, I'm your manager now. Okay, you good. could record it and then you could put it up to stream like all these movie release releases and people would pay to watch it. Oh, I'm gonna call my travel agent, we're going. And you could donate the pros part of the proceeds to your charity to raise awareness for the degenerative muscle disease that yes. you are suffering. IBM, yes, absolutely. And, and we were, we're doing t-shirts and masks and that you can get from my website that are going to be going. That money is going to, uh, obviously after the cost of the t-shirt or the mask, then the rest of the money goes to my, my foundation, basically. Well, I'm just saying, if your dream is to record at the Royal Albert Hall, <laughs> then do it. Don't let COVID or anything else get in your way. I mind. know. Well, I'll look into that. Let me, uh, let me ask you about one of the taglines on your Twitter account, because I see that you're very, um, you're <laughs> very vocal social media person, is in search of the perfect sound. That's your tagline. Have you found it? No, well, you can never find a perfect sound. That's why it keeps you looking. I feel that I have a, a different relationship with audio than a lot of people. It's so... I hear things that, even though my hearing is fading, I hear things that people don't. And I'm just, I think it's the way I analyze sound. And it's, you know, I'll spend, when I'm recording a solo or a rhythm part, basically a solo, um, when it really has to shine, the sound, because the sound is inspiring. You know, I can't play with a bad sound. It's not inspiring at all. So, you know, to work on, I might, work a whole day, five, six, seven hours, on just setting up different microphones, different amplifiers, until I find the thing that that's it, 11 o'clock at night, and I'm exhausted, so I've got it, I go to bed, and then the following day is when I actually record. But I like to do stuff on my own too, I like to set it up myself, but I am, <laughs> sometimes I get in my own way, <laughs> but, and, and I am, I am realizing that in a lot of situations, I need to relinquish control and let other people de delegate. <laughs> well, that's called project management, right? Because without, <laughs> without a deadline, we would never finish anything. Since you are having challenges recording, are you, uh, you know, using your hands, have you started or are you recording the vocabulary of Peter Frampton, you know, recording riffs and things that, that maybe later you can put together to make music? Oh, yes. Digitally. Yes. As I said earlier, I, I record everything and, and I'm recording little noodles and stuff, uh, little bits in my music room here or at my studio. But uh, we have three more albums in the can. We, we did one blues album, all blues, 
17 weeks at number one on the Billboard Blues charts, I might add, which was very surprising. <laughs> Not and bad for an old, what did you say, old guy? <laughs> old guy, yeah. <laughs> and then uh, we have another 11-track blues. That we did so many blues tracks that we've got another one Some that'll come out some. But the next one that'll come out will be, um, we did instrumental covers. Uh, of my favorite tracks of other people. So that's going to be coming out next year. I have a book coming out in October. So we were going to release the new record in the spring, but I think we're going to push it back a little bit. Well, you mentioned Benny King and Al Green, but what are what are some of your, what what is Peter Frampton at the top of your favorite music? That's uh, on the list. Well, I, I could just pretty much mention some of the things that are on the instrumental. We did Reckoner by uh, Radiohead. Radiohead are one of my favorite all-time bands. They're just, they experiment all the time. Nothing's ever the same. I just, they reinvent themselves. Tom York is brilliant. I mean, it's just an, a phenomenal band and uh, you can learn so much from them. I generally listen to stuff that I can learn from. Um, Any George Harrison, out of curiosity? Yes, we did, Isn't It a Pity? So that's on there. Very good. And well, you were friends, so of course I want to know, is there yes. a good, what's your favorite George Harrison story? Can you tell us? Yeah, I mentioned, I talk about it in the book too. Uh, I, I was with a friend that, uh, Terry Doran, who was George's personal. One night, um, my girlfriend and I were up in town. Actually, I was on my own with Terry and we um, met him up in the little pub we would meet at. And he said, do you want to meet Jeffrey? And I said, Jeffrey? He said, which is a code. All the Beatles had a code name. So I didn't know that. So he said, George. I said, Harrison? He said, yes. This would be my first Beatle meeting. So uh, <laughs> we walked down the street to Trident Studios, and which was on, we were on Wardour Street. I walk in the control room and George Harrison is sitting, standing behind the con control board there. He just looks up and says, hello, Pete. And I thought, how does he know me? <laughs> and I thought, well, I guess I've been in the herd and humble pie. So he, you don't think a beetle knows who you are, you know? So anyway, we start talking and I'm kind of petrified <laughs> meeting my first beetle and, and uh, in awe, I should say. And uh, he goes, you want to play? I said, what? I, uh, on the track? We're doing uh, this track we wrote uh, for uh, Doris Troy. Uh, it's called Ain't That Cute. It's gonna be on her album. This is the first album I'm producing for the Apple label, which was their label. So he takes me downstairs, studios downstairs, and uh, gives me this funny red looking uh, Les Paul, which is the famous Lucy. People will know what that means that are into the Beatles equipment. I, I had no idea. George hands me the guitar and says, yeah, the, these are the chords and this is how it goes. And we just wrote it. And I said, oh, great. Okay. So I start playing. So this is, and George is playing guitar too. So I play rhythm, you know, cause this is the Beatles lead guitar player. You don't, you don't uh, step out of your, out of line here. You know? So I, um, he stopped the track. No, no, Pete, I play rhythm. I want you to play lead. I said, Oh, okay then. <laughs> so I ended up playing all the lead guitar on Ain't That Cute. And 
then he called me back two weeks later and asked me to play an All Things Must Pass and we became big friends. That's great. You were petrified of your first meeting with George Harrison. Oh, yeah. Why wouldn't you be? I mean, growing up, the Beatles came out with, in England with Love Me Do was their first thing. It was all back to front, what got released here. Um, I Want to Hold Your Hand, I think, got released here first. And um, so I was 62, I was 12. So it was, I was at the perfect age to become Beatleized. And they were a phenomenon. And, and they were the voice of our, our voice, you know. Right. To actually grow up or really intensely become involved at that time in music, very much my first band, you know, playing guitar and, and everything. And the Beatles was such a huge inspiration uh, and influence on everyone that wanted to be in a band. You know, they were like gods um, and they still are to me. So George Harrison, your favorite Beatle? Oh gosh. Um, well, I know Ringo, um, I've known Ringo for, I think it's nearly, no, it's 50 something years. And um, George, obviously I knew for quite a while, but I, I don't think any of them could be my favorite Beatle really. Um, I'm, I'm lucky to, the only one I, I never met was John and, uh, and Paul I know, and is, is, is a really super, super nice, but they're all great. They, they're, they're all, they were all very down to earth. They weren't like Ringo always makes you feel like he's not a Beatle. If you, he goes out of his way to put you at ease, always. He knows how to deal with, with his humor, you know, and he'll make fun of himself, you know, and that's the way I kind of am when I meet people, you know, I always make fun of myself. And so people don't try and get off that pedestal for them so that you become a buddy rather than, you know, someone they look up to. Well, thank you so much for your time. I very much enjoyed our conversation and I'm looking forward yeah. to hearing some of this music and oh. your book. Oh, well, thank you so much. Yeah, book's out October 20th. Thanks again to Peter Frampton for talking with me and thank you for listening. We hope you'll take a moment to subscribe to I'm So Obsessed on your favorite podcast app. Until next time, be safe.